Hey guys, it's your girl Miss G and you already know what time it is. It's G time. It's time to get up, get active and get it together. You know my purpose. My purpose is to give advice, encourage change and empower success. The goal is to grow, elevate and excel together. Oh, you already know you have the power to create change. I'm so excited about this new episode. Um, I will be speaking to a good friend of mine, Manuel Gutierrez, licensed marriage and family therapist, and we are going to be talking about his experience with COVID-19. I hope that you enjoy this interview. I hope that something that is said during this interview encourages you and inspires you to continue to keep yourself safe during this pandemic. So I, with no further ado, I'm going to go ahead and shoot over to the video. I'll see you when it's done. Hello, Manuel. Hi, Crystal. How are you doing today? I'm doing a lot better now. Thank you for asking. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm really excited. I'm glad we're going to be talking about this. This is such an important subject, especially because this is what we're all living through right now. So, well, thank you for the information. Excellent. So as we start, I just want you to introduce yourself and tell our listeners who you are. Um, my name is Manuel Gutierrez. I go by Manny. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. Uh, currently, that's not the role I play. Currently at my job, I'm a trauma-informed care consultant. So I educate people about trauma. I talk to them about what trauma looks like in children, you know, and some of the behaviors that may be... Uh, a result of trauma in their life history. Uh, that's me in a nutshell. Nice. For all of my listeners who don't know, me and Manuel, Manny, we work together as mental health therapists. I learned everything I know from Manny, and <laughs> Manny helped me and taught me everything I needed to know before I started taking my clients. So I appreciate you, and I'm excited again about what we're doing right now. So I'm going to jump in with my first question, and I want you to just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on COVID before um, it affected your life. Well, um, it was kind of scary because nobody understood what was happening. Um, I know that where I work at, they had decided that we were going to start working from home. I was able to do my job from home. So... I never thought, oh, I'm going to be exposed. I never thought it was something that was going to come knocking my door, specifically because I was at home. I was working from home. I was able to do my trainings and coachings, you know, via Zoom. So my thoughts were like, I'm going to be okay. Right. Everything's going to be fine because I'm at home. I'm not going out. And so this started like around March 13 or the 17th. I can't remember the exact date, but it started at the beginning, middle of March. So my thoughts were, it's not, it's not coming through my door. Right. There is no reason why it should come in. Like most of us, we're at home, so we're all safe. Everything's good because we're at home with everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And also part of the thought was, um, you know, I made an effort at that moment to, you know, made sure we had sanitizing supplies, that we had hand sanitizers. At that moment, um, at that time, my husband was still having to work. Um, and I always made sure he would take his sanitizer, uh, sanitizer with him. 
just to ensure that, you know, whenever he came home, his hands were sanitized. Whenever he was on his way back from home, that he would be okay. And so that was part of our process. Just protect yourself. And as long as you protect yourself to the best of your ability, or what we thought was the best of our ability at that time, we thought we would be okay. It was still scary, but we thought we were going to be okay. Right, right. Okay. So when the news about the virus hit, what were your thoughts? My thoughts were, I'm scared. Uh, what is going to happen? How is this going to happen? So what happened was, funny enough, on Sunday, I believe it was the 22nd, I like going for walks. Nature walks are, you know, soothing for me. They're very calming. They help me center myself. And so it had been a couple of days that I hadn't taken this walk. And that day we decided to go for a walk. And I, I remember thinking, you know, I'm a therapist, so I like to think ahead and I like to problem solve. And so in my, in me walking with him, because he went with me, I remember turning around and I said, what are we going to do if this hits us? I said, if it hits me or if it hits you. And it was a scary intent of a conversation. I remember him turning around and looking at me and saying, I guess we do have to talk about it. Right. And that's where that conversation ended. And so in speaking with him later, you know, well, this was Sunday. On Monday, he goes back to work. So he went to work. He goes in typically like around 7, leaves home around 5. At 9.30, I receive a phone call. And he's telling me, I feel sick. I am feeling clammy. I've been sweating a lot. I have chills. Um, I'm having fevers. And so he says, what should I do? And I said, don't come home. Right. I said, I said, I don't want you to come home right now. I said, you're going to leave work. And I basically told him what he had to do. And I said, leave work, but go to the hospital. Mm. Because there was nothing I could do at home for him. Right. At least I didn't have anything within my power to say, I'm going to help you be better. So I said, I need to make sure that you take care of yourself and you need to make sure you understand what, what is going on with your body. Right. You know, it wasn't very direct as I understood he had it because we didn't have that understanding. And so he left work. He, he went into the ER, um, the local ER um, hospital. And three hours later, he comes home with a diagnosis of pneumonia. And for me, that was shocking because just the day before, we went for a walk, and he was perfectly fine. Right. He was walking. He was talking. He was doing everything. He was feeling great. And I said, how did you go from being okay to having full-blown pneumonia? And so when he said, well, that's what they told me, and he says, we have to isolate. Even before he had said that, in my, in my head, you know, being the clinician that, that I am, I'm like, how do I protect what's home? And what home has is we have pets. My parents, we share a home with my parents. And then there's um, me and him. Right. So in his process from coming to the hospital to coming back home, I took in, because I was working from home, 
I said, I'm going to have to isolate because we shared a bed till that day. Right. So I said, I may have already been exposed. Right. So how do I keep myself safe? And so I remember getting, you know, uh, clothes, getting everything into the room I was going to be isolating, which is basically this room. (laughs) So some PSD. I had to come into this room. I had to prep the room for him because I knew things were going to be different. And I am diabetic, so I have those conditions that you have to um, worry about. I have high blood pressure. Um, So do my parents. So we're like, how are we going to do that? I had to stop and really think, how am I going to change this so that it's not as bad? It was very scary. It was very life-changing because everything and anything I knew about coronavirus equated to death and a horrible death. It resonated a lot with when the 80s, when HIV and AIDS came out. And so all my life, I grew up understanding AIDS as being a horrible death. And when they're talking about COVID-19 on TV at that time, everything you heard was people are dying. Right. And they're dying by hundreds. So I was legitimately afraid for him and for what may happen to my house, meaning my parents, myself, what is going to happen. So it's, you know, it was very scary. I moved, I transitioned into this room. I was trying to be strong, (laughs) but it was very difficult because you go from having someone you love and care for to not being able to touch them, barely see them, barely any contact because you're trying to, to keep healthy. Right. And you're trying to keep others healthy. So it was very scary. You know, my thoughts were, what is going to happen to him? Is this going to get worse? If it gets worse, how are we going to do this? Like my thought is if he gets worse, I can't take him to the hospital because I I can be exposed if I'm not exposed. You know, um, he's gonna have to drive to the hospital. Mm. If he's gonna make it, how is this gonna happen? So it put us in a position where I felt guilt. I felt guilt because that's the person I love with. I love, and I couldn't see him. Right. And I couldn't touch him. And I could see him physically fading away. This strong, resilient man was in a bed, shivering and shaking with fevers, taking medication that was not helping him. So I don't know if that answers your question in regards to how I felt. There was confusion. There was a lot of guilt, there was a lot of anguish, there was a lot of sadness, there was a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, you already touched on a lot of of things, because I was going to ask, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally, um, all of these things, all of these are emotions, well, the emotional part, but mentally and emotionally, you're still going through um, that the guilt, and then the emotion of seeing him um, be so uh, vulnerable because of the disease and then physically right you're trying to keep yourself safe you're ca- trying to keep yourself healthy and all of those things take a toll on our, our physical 
because we're now worrying, even though people are out there saying, well, don't worry um, and don't do this. It's really hard when you're watching someone you love. How can I not worry? When everything, exactly. everything I turn to says death, 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 death. So how can it not be the first thought of death? And now I'm, and now your mind kind of just goes on and on and on and on because that's what's being put out there. And not only that, I think that our human nature, because there is this need of survival, right. we always go to extreme to try and find ways to, to survive. But in this situation, I'm living it. Right. You know, in other situations, I help people get there. I help them process, but now I'm living it. Now it's happening in my house. Now it's happening to a loved one, my loved one, not someone else's loved one. Right. So it's it, there's a roller, a roller coaster of emotions that I have to go through and still try to be resilient, still try to be strong and strong for him because my thought was, is he taking his medications? Um, is he doing what he has to do? I remember telling him, take a notepad, write down every time you check your temperature, what it is, every time you take your medication, what medication you're taking, look at your body, you know, let me know how it feels. You know, we were basically doing what you and I are doing right now. Mm -hmm. These were our conversations, video conference, meeting in my room, him in his room, and me having to check up on him to try and see how he was doing. That's good. And he was, I think someone, right, but I think someone may not have um, thought that far ahead and we have so much technology and we have so many things that we can be using. Um, I wouldn't have thought of that. FaceTime me so I can see you. Let me see you take your medicine. Show me what it looks like because you know, we're helpers. We're in the helping field. So that means we're bossy. But we just have a we have a title. That's what my mom says. <laughs> We're certified bossy. <laughs> so so let me go on with, with with this addition because you know, I think the whole thing about it is that he caught it and I didn't have symptoms. Um he had to go into the hospital three times to be diagnosed. Oh, and those three times he had to go alone. And the last time he went is right after um, he went in on a Friday. He was not feeling well. And um, they, 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 checked, they checked him for COVID-19. How so long was that home. process? How, how long was the process from the first time he had, went into the hospital and was diagnosed with pneumonia to the point where they finally diagnosed him with covid it was a whole week. Within mm -hmm. that whole week, he went to the doctor. When he was hospitalized, it was a whole week, seven days from when he started displaying the symptoms. Uh, but in, in the trajectory of that seven days, he went to the doctor twice to the ER. Uh, the second time he was diagnosed, and then the third time he was hospitalized. So when he went in the second time, he went in because he had already had phone conversations with his doctor, um, with his primary care physician, um, and in conversations with them, they told him if it gets worse, 
you need to go in. So come Thursday night, he wasn't feeling well. Come Friday morning, I told him, go to the hospital. Call your doctor and go to the hospital and say, I, I said, go to Kaiser ER, uh, ER or emergency, whatever they have. And so he went there and that's when they checked him for COVID. They sent him home with no result. They told him, well, we'll let you know what happened. Um, and they called him Sunday night. No, the results came in on Monday, three in the morning. Hmm. And so when they came in, I was hearing a lot of noise, you know, being in a separate room. I, I heard a lot of stuff happening, like a lot of movement. And so at six o'clock I walk out, I said, is everything okay? And he said, no, he said, my test came out positive. And I said, and how are you feeling? And he says, I'm feeling like I can't breathe. Hmm. I'm feeling like chest is really tight. And so I said, well, what, why are you still here? I said, why are you still here? To get your stuff, take your charger, take your phone, you're going to the hospital. And I said, I'm going to follow behind you because now he had a true positive result. And being that we had shared the room till the day of, you know, Sunday night to Monday morning, uh, um, before he started displaying the symptoms, I was, I asked him, well, I said, I'm going to go in because they need to check me. And by then I had already had maybe like two days with what they were calling low grade fevers because they were reaching 99.1, mm-hmm. but it was happening constant, you mm-hmm. know, throughout the day. So I said, I have that. I was having a little bit of shortness of breath. So I said, I need to go in. Um, going in to the ER was scary. It, that, that was very life-changing, very intimidating, very humbling. You know, they put you in a room. They separate everybody, of course. Mm-hmm. But where I was at, I was able to see people being treated. They were in their beds being treated. You saw and heard nurses say stuff that you knew was probably out of frustration and not anger. Mm-hmm. You saw people being wheeled out because they needed to be moved to a higher level of care. Well, at least I saw. And, you know, that was very scary for me. That was very, very scary for me. And the fact that I knew that he was there and I couldn't have contact with him and I didn't know what was happening. And I didn't understand what was going to happen. Right. Um, again, we were FaceTiming while we were there <laughs> to the best of our ability to, you know, support each other. Right. And I read, I read lips. <laughs> I'm great at reading lips. And from <laughs> far away, I found a nurse and she says, and him, we need to move him out to the tent, meaning me. I was like, what does a tent mean? You know, what What does that equate to? And the moment they go and they get me and they're saying, and they tell me, you know, what, we're going to the tent. I was like, why? Well, because we have to take you to the tent. That was the answer I got. So it was very scary to know that I was being moved to a tent. And when I asked what is in the tent, they, they chose to tell me, we just need to take you there. And walking from that emergency room to the tent, tent was scary it was about 50 degrees it was about nine o'clock 50 degrees 55 it was a very cold morning 
and to run into people sweating, hmm. like damp, literally damp and sweat. Their clothes are wet. You can see the moisture. Seeing people shaking, seeing people barely being able to breathe. I was. It was very scary for me as a as a human being. Right. It was. Right. They take me into this room, and I'm waiting there. And they tell me, um, I'm waiting there for I don't know how long. And then they come and they tell me, well, you have it. Ugh. You have the symptoms. Um, we can't test you, but you have the symptoms. So go home, take some cough syrup and some Tylenol, and just hope that your body can fight it. And they sent me home. I was broken. I was broken. I was not only concerned now for me, but concerned for him because now he he's in the hospital. Right. It was very scary. I didn't know what to do. Our connection in the hospital phone-wise was horrible anyways. So getting in touch with him or talking with him was very hard. Um I go home, I stop, I remember at Albert, Albertsons, and I buy the cough syrup. Everything was over the counter. I thought maybe I'm going to get some antibiotic, I'm going to get something. No, it was very nonchalant. You have it, hope your body can fight it. If not, you're going to die. So, and I'm like, I know they're tired. Right. I know they're tired. We see this a lot. We see this a lot in our field, and it can come yeah. across very cold. Very matter of fact. And being a clinician, being a clinician and, you know, being empathetic, I was like, they are tired. They are exhausted. And she didn't mean to be cold. And she didn't mean to, to be very nonchalant. She's just tired. But I understand that. Right. I, because of our job, I understand that. I went home and I, I was broken. And I, the first thing I did to try and overcome it I reached out to my friends. Right. I said, I need people that can help me pray. It's real. It's happening. Please help. And I remember reaching out because I needed the support. Because now, not only am I isolating from him, but the dynamics of home have to change. Because now I have to isolate from my parents. Right. Because they're here. And they're not showing any symptoms, and they may not have it. Now, did he know that you had been diagnosed also? Because he was in the hospital. Um, well, he was in the, that same day when I got home, I emailed my doctor, and I asked the doctor. I told him, look, this is what happened. My husband tested positive. Um, he's showing these signs, and I'm showing these signs, which was fever and you know, a little bit of shortness of breath. And it was not like a high but I know my body. I'm very fortunate enough to understand how my body is. And I can see and feel things that other people probably say it's nothing. I said, I'm feeling fevers. I started checking my temperature, and it was like 99.9, 99.2. I'm like, that's out of the norm. So the doctor says, you know, based on the fact that you are diabetic and you have a pre-existing condition, you know, I'm going to send you in because now you were exposed to someone who's positive. Right. So they sent me in, took up three days uh, before they even told me if it was uh, positive or not. 
So I told them I had gone to test. While I was here talking, while I was home talking to um, a friend of mine, because I was trying to look for support. I was not going to go down. Right. My thought is like, I am not going down without a fight. I am not going down. I said, I need to reach out to loved ones. I need to reach out to people that I know love me. I need to reach out to people that I know support me. And so I'm going to reach out because it's, I'm not going down. And and I might get a little teary-eyed because I'm already feeling it, Crystal. But <laughs> I was on the phone with my friend. Mm-hmm. And I received a phone call from him, from my partner, my husband. And I wasn't able to answer. I disconnected really quick. Hmm. And the next message I receive is, they're going to send me home. It was a text message. And then I responded to the text message. By the way, I tried calling him back a couple of times, and he wasn't answering, he wasn't answering. And I started sending a message, like, okay, where are you? What's happening? Because minutes after, maybe like four minutes after he says, I'm going home, he sent me another one and he said, they're keeping me. Hmm. And for me, it was like, what happened? Right. What happened in those four minutes from I'm leaving, I'm going home, to I have to stay. And that's when my world shattered. Right. Right. Because now... I didn't know if I had lost the opportunity to speak with, with him for the last time. That is real. I, I, I didn't know. If I was going to hear his voice. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. But... Um, like two hours of trying to get a hold of him mm-hmm. responded and he said I turned on my camera because we were talking on the camera now he's laying down in a bed and he has the oxygen connected and I said what happened he said what happened he's like I don't know they just said they're keeping me I said why weren't you answering me hmm. he's like I just got your messages right now He's like, as soon as I walked into the room, because they had already moved him to the room, he's like, all your messages came. Actually, as I, as we were video uh, talking, um, my messages were coming in. And he's like, oh, I'm just getting all your messages. So I was like, it was heartbreaking, though, because, you know, everything, like we said earlier, everything in relation to this COVID-19 was people are dying. Right. If you get it, you're going to Right. And I had seen a lot of people die alone on camera you know mm. a lot of people with no family members there and to know that now he's there and he's connected and that I may not be able to touch him or hold him one last time mm. because now he's hospitalized right. so my world changed my world completely changed you know if I was standing God bent me over and humbled me and said I have this and I'm in control and I'm going to do whatever I want. Right. So it was, it was very, very scary, very scary. So a lot of our conversations were via phone. A lot of our conversations while he was there, very fortunate enough that he was there only three days. Okay. But he, he was connected to the machine, to the oxygen, 
they sent him home with uh, an oxygen oxygen machine. Mm-hmm. You know, had to go and get his medications before they even released them because he had to continue taking all the medication. And here um, you are taking taking care of your husband who is ill, and now you just got diagnosed with the same disease, and it's still go time it's still take care of everyone else how when do i have time to actually take care of myself in this in this time because you both have you know not only that crystal but also the fact that my parents are here right and so now we have two people that are exposed and in my head is like are they exposed do they have it do they not have it and how do i keep them in the house so that they don't go out what was their understanding so they, of it? Now that you both have been diagnosed, what was their understanding? There, I don't think there was an understanding. It was more of, okay, how can we make it better for you now? Mm-hmm. And so it was a conversation the same way we're doing right now with my mom. And I said, he's going to stay in his room. I have to stay in this room. Everything and anything that happens. So we had to set parameters. We, I, I had to set the rules. I had to tell them what they were going to be doing to support us. So we have um, two little uh, stools. So I put one in outside his door and one outside my door. Mm. And I said, you're going to leave food there for him and you're going to leave food there for me. I put a case of water in his uh, room and a case of water in my room. Juices and stuff. I... I'm indebted without Amazon <laughs> because that was the only way I was going to get stuff home. Right. So I ordered stuff to have stuff available for all of us here at home. But part of the, the, the restrictions I gave my parents, and I say restrictions because they wanted to come into the room. Of course. They wanted their to parents. Have of course. The, you're their, their baby. It doesn't matter from infant to grown up. You are her baby and she's going to come in and take care of you. And she wanted. So it was hard because she couldn't understand that she could put herself in danger. Right. And so the instructions were like, if you're going to prepare a meal for us, leave it outside, knock on the door, walk away. Once we feel you walk away far enough, we're going to open the door, pull our meals in. And so breakfast and lunch and dinner was served that way mm-hmm. um they went and they got tested because you know we tested positive right and i want to say fortunately enough the first time they were positive, they were negative mm-hmm. they went in a second time when my dad a week later started to show symptoms mm-hmm. they went in a second time and then they were positive but okay. by that time you know, they were very helpful. They were very supportful. They were very, I mean, supportive. They were trying to make sure that we were fine. I remember my mom asking me many times, how are you? How are you feeling? And I remember just telling her, you know, I just have fevers. I have some fevers. They're not high. They're low grade. Just to soothe her and calm her down. because She is my mother. She is older. She's over 65. She has underlying conditions. So does my father. And my thought is like, I need to continue to protect them to the best of my ability. As long as I continue to feel that I can continue to fight this battle. Right. Right. So, you know, but like you were saying, they are parents and they, they worry and they, they have concerns. Um, we are their babies. Right. And I knew that my parents were going to be my parents 
they were going to be the mother and the father they needed to be. And to be but, able like, to show that restraint, that is a lot. I mean, I'm sitting here as a mom right now going, I, I, I don't know what I would do. I would be right there. <laughs> and But you have to follow these directions because how can I take care of you if I'm not listening? Now, now I can't take care of you because I'm sick. Now, I, I know over this period of time, they also have been diagnosed. So from their time of uh, being diagnosed with it and the time of you and your husband being diagnosed, now what stage are you guys in to now them having it? So, <laughs> funny enough, um, we, we were, well, we got better. Me and my husband got better. Um, right now we still have, you know, uh, chest pain but I think that's just from the lungs that they were affected and so um, we take aspirin or Tylenol to help us through the process but we were both released by the doctors um, actually the day my father started displaying um, his symptoms mm. so I remember my mom uh, telling me you know we went to the store because she had to go to the store and do some stuff against my will I told her don't go but she had to go <laughs> And she said, um, we went and your dad refused to get out of the car. She says, I went to the bank and he was refusing to get out of the car. And he's acting. And I had noticed my dad acting a little different. Mm -hmm. uh, like he was spending too much time in his room. And I say not because I was walking out of the room, but in order for me to go to the restroom, I had to walk out through, walk out this room. I had access to their room, you know, view, I could see them, and then there was a bathroom, so every time I would walk out to the restroom, they'd tell you, keep hydrated, drink a lot of liquids, drink a lot of liquids, so I right. had to go to the bathroom a lot. <laughs> you can edit that if you want. Nope. <laughs> I had to go, you know, and I would see him just laying down in, in bed, and like, like his body had been beaten, and he's mm. just exhausted. And so, once the doctor says, you guys are free, you're that didn't mean we could go out into the street. That meant we can be in the home, in right. the house. We don't have to walk out. You know, we could walk out into the living room and the kitchen. So then that day um, that my dad started to show symptoms, um, I scheduled another, that's when I scheduled their second appointment to be checked. And then within 24 hours, they received both of their um, diagnosis, which they were both positive. And that, too, was very exhausting. Uh, that, too, was very uh, challenging because um, for them, they are the parents and I'm the son. And now our roles had switched. Right. And I'm very stern with my parents, which it seems like they're a little resentful of it <laughs> uh, because they say that, you know, I'm very strict with them. But I tell them, I'm only trying to help you. So I told them, well, my dad had started to show symptoms. My mom had none. Mm. So I said, mom, I'm moving out of this room. I'm moving into the other room, my room. I said, because now we were both okay. And the doctor had said, since you both, since him and I were uh, positive at the same time and we had symptoms at the, at the same time, that we could move into the same room. Okay. Right? So... I waited a couple of days before that process just because, you know, I had to clean the room down and sanitize it, make sure everything was fine because this is the room that my nieces use when they come and they visit. Okay. So they're not going to come anytime soon, right. but I had to do that. So I said, 
mom, I'm going to go back into my room, and because you're not showing symptoms, though they were habitating or cohabitating in the same room, mm -hmm. I said, for the time being, you're going to stay in this room, and dad's going to stay in that room until we get the results. Once we got the results and they were both positive, I told them you can now move into to dad's room. Now, right. the way they function, my dad is very dependent of my mother. Um, he's lost a lot of his eyesight and stuff like that, so she's always been there for him. And so I saw my dad in those three days, that they, two days that they slept in separate rooms, going downhill. Hmm. And the doctors told us, me and my husband, you need to wear gloves and face masks when you're with them because they don't understand if we can get this again or not. Mm. They don't know if this is something you can catch again. The studies are not there yet. They don't know if we have antibodies and if the antibodies are going to help us or not. So even that was painful for me to have to now do the same thing my mother did for me. Right. Put plates, knock on a door, walk away, wear a mask, wear gloves. So when I saw my dad going downhill, you know, health-wise, and then I had the chance to move my mother in because now they're both positive, her argument was, but I have no symptoms. I said, Mom, but your result came out positive, which means that you may be a carrier and mm. not be symptomatic. Wow. So I had to have that conversation with her because I knew having her with him was going to help him. Mm -hmm. And she's more resilient than my father is. So against the, her will, I moved them in together. Now, did she and ever I have any symptoms? Yes, she did. So the, my dad's, their, their results came in on Wednesday. They went in on Monday because that's when he started showing the symptoms. They came, their results came in on uh, Thursday night, I believe. I want to say Wednesday, no, Wednesday night. They came in on Wednesday night. We told them on Thursday. Hmm. So my mom's symptoms started on Friday. So now she's having the fevers. Fortunately enough, her fevers are low-grade fevers, such like mine, 99.9. But now I tell them, now it's our turn to kick in, as you know, sons and my partner being here. I said, we're going to take care of you. And that was hard for her to hear, the way you took care of us. We will make all the runs. I remember because their doctor took quite a while to respond back to them. And I said, because you have no contact with your doctor. Unfortunately, their doctor came down also with the illness. So he wasn't oh. able to respond because he was not available. Right, right. And well, in this clinic, apparently they came down with it too. So... No one was able to respond. So I wow. said, I'm not a doctor, Mom. And people out there, I'm not a doctor. But I said, they told us cough syrup and Tylenol for fever. And until you hear from your doctor, you're going to do what, what we did. I said, I don't want to make it seem like I'm medicating you. I go, but I haven't been able to physically see my doctor. And they told me when I went to the ER, cough syrup and Tylenol. Wow. So this is antibiotics. I said, not, where are we going to get them from? Right, right, right. So, 
So it was hard for her because I had to assume a role. Right. Um, I had to kick in with waking up early in the morning, taking the dogs out. I had to um, start cooking breakfast. I had to clean the house. I had to, you know, cook lunch and cook dinner and make sure that everything was here. And she's just not used to being a daughter anymore. Right. She was just used to being a mom. And so was my dad. And so it was hard for them. Right now, I want to say we're blessed. My father, um, he reached his 14-day mark nice. last Friday. No, mm -hmm. this past Monday. Okay. Just doesn't know yet. <laughs> so he, he, he should be able to walk out and... But I said, no, when you needed support, someone was there for you. Right. Even if she was forced to walk back into her room, I right. said, someone was there for you. So in my head, it's like, they need to support each other. Right. And not that they don't love each other, but, you know, under the circumstances, there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of things going on. I remember telling them, please don't watch the news. Right. Because prior to, to them coming down with it, they would watch the news every day all day mm. and so they were always on edge they were always anxious my dad starts with this shaking of his legs you know shaking of his hands my mom started saying i can't sleep at night i'm having difficulty so i told them please just disconnect from the tv right no news no news for now there's nothing important for you to know right now right watch movies watch tv watch um I was going to say they, they like the stuff, the stuff that comes out on Facebook um, <laughs> in Spanish. So they like oh. watching that. But don't open anything about COVID-19. Don't open. You don't need to see that. So for them, it was life-changing as well because now they were the father. Father and the mother became, you know, the son and the, and the daughter. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was having to check, and I still do, how are your fevers? Um, how's your oxygen? Because... My dad's symptoms started on Monday. By Friday, his oxygen level, so they tell us oxygen level has to be between 95% and 97%, which is average. Okay. His went all the way down to 88. Wow. So it's not supposed to go below 92%. Mm. And so we connected him to an oxygen machine. He's using that. He's not using it anymore. But anyways, let me go back to what I was saying the fact that I was having to check. Right. I was having to make them check temperature every hour, their oxygen levels. And it probably gives them a little bit of anxiety and I can see how that could happen because it would probably make me anxious too and probably very upset to have someone hovering over me. But I love them. They're my right. parents. I need to make sure that they stay alive and they survive this. So that's the only reason I was doing it. And I think they understand that. Right. But yet, it's still very hard for them to assume a role that they haven't had for many years. Right. And so, you know, my dad, um, he's in a better place right now. He's a, last night, he had a little scare um, because his oxygen level went to 92. But I said, did it go below that? He's like, no. I said, so there's exercises that you can do and stand up and breathe and do all these things or connect yourself. So he says what, I, what he did, he connected himself to the oxygen. It's like within minutes, it went back up to 98 and he hasn't used Okay. Um, they have. They both have three days without um, the without fevers, 
without the support of medication. Okay. Which is really good because that's one of the things that, you know, lets doctors know that they're over it. You know, once they have three days with no fevers and no medication, they should be fine. Okay. Uh, my mom uh, hasn't had any shortness of breath, just the light fevers. She had the light, the cough, um, but she's over that too. Okay. <laughs> Good. They're in a better place, but it was very scary. They, they're they still following my orders because I tell them, and, and I tell my husband, let's not tell them the 14-day mark is over. I go because I want them to make sure that they stay in there because in my mom's head, she said, on the 30th, I'm going to walk out. I said, no, you can't. <laughs> you can't walk out. You need to stay in. You know, you still have an underlying, you know, disease or whatnot, right. uh, excuse as they're calling them, you still have that. You did get it, but no one guarantees us that we can get it again. And that's the important part right there, too. I didn't know that. And when you said that, that, they, that research hasn't proved or shown whether or not you can get it again. So all four of you have been diagnosed, and while you're feeling better, your husband's feeling better, mom and dad are feeling better, everyone's getting out of that neck of the woods, we still don't know whether or not it can come back. So, yeah, my husband has to return to work on Monday, and we're already thinking of what mm. is the process going to look like mm. when he does go to work. You know, he works at a supermarket. He's a manager at a service deli. And so he's exposed to people, and people are exposed to him. Right. So he says that they're giving them a mask every two hours. They're, according to what they're telling him, they get new masks every two hours. They get gloves every two hours. I said, yes, but you still brought it. <laughs> so, so we're creating a plan. So he's like, maybe I should take a change of clothes and change. I said, no, you need to get your windows tinted and change in the car. I go, because if you're going to change in, in where you work at, you still have to walk through all oh, those people right. that don't work there. And you're still going to have contact with people. And it sounds a little extremist. But I'm trying to protect him, and I'm trying to protect him. Absolutely. So we're creating a plan where he's able to go back to work, and he's able to not bring something home right? Um, in order to help him and to help us. Right. So I don't have to work from home. Well, I have to work from home. But even at that, I want to say that the recovery part of it has been a lot more difficult than when you're, you know, when you're sick. Right. In the sense, when I was sick, I spent a lot of time sitting down or laying down watching TV. Right now that I have to care for someone and care for myself, standing for 10 minutes feels like I've, I've stand, I stood up for an hour. Wow. Going for a seven-minute walk feels like I've gone out for an hour. So it's like we need to take the time to allow our body to heal. To heal. And under the circumstances, because we have to cook for us, because we have to cook for our parents, we haven't had that need to do so. Right. So it's hitting us in that sense. Um, the doctor just tells us, take your time. Like I said, I'm very fortunate. I work from home. But even when I, re I try to return back to working from home, I am a trainer. My trainings last three hours. I'm a supervisor. I supervise people. I have to take the time to stop and breathe. Right. Because it's 
exhausting. It's exhausting for my lungs. It's exhausting for my body. You know, right now we're a little bit better than last week. Last week it would hit eight o'clock at night. And we were exhausted. We were drained. We were ready to, that's it. Go to bed, lights off, eight o'clock. Right. right now, as we're working through it and our lungs are getting stronger and our bodies are getting stronger, you wouldn't think, you know, it really affects you, but it does affect you being sick like that. And I'm like, I was laying down most of the time with light fevers here and there, but physically it, it did some damage. Right. My lungs, I feel it. Right now, if I'm standing straight, I'm fine. If I hunch over, like to wash dishes or I'm cooking, I get tired, I get winded, I have to go sit down. Hmm. So there's things that we're starting to, you know, we continue to adapt to. We <laughs> we get muscle pains, random places. It's just the recovery phase, it's also hard. Hmm. You know, it's not just getting over that, getting over the fevers and the shortness of breath. Okay, so now that your body has gone through this, you know, trauma, you need to recoup and get better. Right. And if you're there working and doing stuff for others because you need to survive, like in our case, it's it's draining. It's very exhausting, you know. I can only So imagine. what I want people to understand is that it is real, first of all, because I've heard it even from some family members. They were doubting that it was real until they saw it happen to us. Right. It is real. It is out there. There is there are there are people with the virus that don't know they have the virus because they're they have no symptoms. Nonetheless, they're going out thinking, "Well, I have nothing," and just a sneeze, a sneeze or a cough, or they cough in their hand or sneeze in their hand and they touch something. Right. I mean, the FDA says don't wash anything. I don't care what the FDA says. I come and I wash everything. Right. I right. Say, I don't touch this. And our plan when we go to the store, because now we can't, even we take a mask, we take gloves, and I tell him, whatever we touch is what we're taking home. We're not, even though we're wearing gloves, I said, but we've been touching stuff, so whatever we touch is coming home. We're not going to leave it there. I said, and then when we get home, we sanitize everything just to be on the safe side, because we don't know if we can catch it again. Right, right, right. Maybe the first time, maybe this first time it wasn't severe for me or as severe for him. But we don't know what may happen if, if it does come next back. time. Right. I think that's smart. I, I think that staying prepared and having a plan is great because you have to. You know, a lot of us out there, we need to know um, some of the effects that it, it has. We watch the news and we read the paper and there's so many uh, conflicting stories out there. And I feel it's so important to hear it from someone who has experienced it, someone who's still going through it, because even though you guys are clear, doesn't mean that it still isn't affecting you to this day. Again, mentally, emotionally, and physically, it's just not going to go away because, um, because you're in the clear. We still have, um, you're a trauma therapist, so there's some trauma behind this, right? <laughs> and you would think I could deal with it, you know? Just the other day, um, I was sitting down, and, and my body felt hot. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? PTSD kicked in, I said. Just like that. Said, what is this? And I ran, and I got the thermometer, and I checked. You know, it was just the sunlight hitting my back. <laughs> but my body just felt hot. But, it, you know, you're put in this situation where you're having to check everything. Right. You know, this little thing here, 
install. I don't know if you can see it. Mm -hmm. um, this is what we use to check our, you know, our oxygen level. Wow. I've never had, I've never had asthma. Now I have. I just want screen. you to know that they have made an improvement on the oxygen tester. I have asthma since I was little. And the tube was about this big. And you have to take a deep breath and oh, blow in those, it. They still have those. <laughs> That's how they, and then for you to check it, they would put something on your finger. And you had to have this big old monitor with you, so that's kind of cute. <laughs> so we had it. We actually went and when when he was diagnosed and he was going to be sent home, we're like, "How is he going to know if he needs oxygen or not?" Mm -hmm. You gotta blow. And so when I thought about it, I'm like, "How am I going to do this? How are we going to do this?" Unfortunately, um, the Walgreens down the street from where I live. They had two. And so I ran, I got him, I said, there's one for him and one for me. We're not going to need anymore. <laughs> That's what I thought. And then my parents came down with it. And so this one was actually the one we got when my dad uh, got ill or he started to have his symptoms because him and I were still using ours. Um, but... I said, how are we going to do this? So then we took ours. We wiped them down thoroughly. Mm -hmm. We made sure they were sanitized. And I told my mom, here, you have mine. Because this is rechargeable. I nice. said, it's going to be, um, yeah, it's rechargeable. But if you have people like my parents that can barely see, that they're not very tech savvy, are they going to be able to charge it? Right. I said, keep the ones with the battery so it's easier to change the batteries than to wait for something to charge. So they have the battery-operated ones. They have that. Um, they're constantly checking. I mean, you have to change your whole lifestyle to adapt to survive for this COVID-19 mm. diagnosis. I have. So for me, it's like I don't live by it, but when I do feel shortness of breath, I check myself just to make sure. Like I said, I'm not uh, asthmatic, but I use this. I've used it maybe like four times. 193 times it's 197 pumps there so i think it's three times i've used it uh -huh. but you know stuff that i've never felt before i'm feeling it now and so in me working with my parents they don't know about everything so i've been telling them you think you're fine right now but when you go through the recovery phase you have to be careful because i'm feeling stuff now that i never felt while i was sick right i'm feeling it during the recovery phase like i had never had chest pain like, and I know it's my lungs because it's where the lungs are at. It's not like a heart attack. I know it's where the lungs are at. And so I'm like, I feel pain there sometimes. Um, yesterday was the first time I felt it for a long while. So I just took an aspirin. And right after I took the aspirin, it made me feel better. Um, he was feeling the same thing. But yesterday was a day where we were busy. We went out to the store. We had to go buy stuff. We had to cook. We had nonstop all day. So at the end of we, we were tired. Our body was saying, okay, slow down, calm down, or otherwise I'm going to make you do it. Right. And so our chest were hurting, and, you know, towards the end of the night, I just, I remember taking an aspirin. He hadn't told me that his chest was hurting. Mm. He tries not to worry me until <laughs> later on. He says, you know, my chest hurt. And I said, well, my chest was hurting too. Have you tried taking aspirin or Tylenol like they told us? And he's like, no. So I gave him an aspirin, and it made him feel better, so... Um, it's just a life-changing experience. We were at a different place, you know, 
as a family, um, I think that my parents got to learn a lot about me and I got to learn a lot about them and I've lived with them for quite a while, but this situation, you know, puts you in a different place. Right. It's very scary. You know, initially, like I said, I was like, oh, you know, I thought about it. What are we going to do if it happens? But it was really not affecting me till the next day when he called me and he said, you know, I'm feeling like this. And I said, well, don't come home until you go to the doctor first. Right. When they sent him with pneumonia from one day to another, I said, okay, you're going to, just to be safe, you're going to sleep here and I'm going to sleep over there and, you know, no contact. And initially he, he was the only one using that bathroom, the bathroom that we now both share. And I was sharing my parents' bathroom. And then once everything changed, I was able to, you know, use the same bathroom and everything. But it changes your whole life. Right. There's also this part where if it gets really severe, you don't know if you're going to be able to see your loved one. You don't know if you're going to be able to see them again. You may be able to talk with them over the phone like we were doing, but my concern was, is he going to get worse? Am I going to be able to see him? Will I be able to touch him? Will I be able to feel the warmth of his hand? Right. It, it got very scary once he texted me and he said, I'm going to be hospitalized and that he wasn't returning my Hmm. No, for me, like, is this, was that my, my last chance to have a conversation with him? Right. And then how to, to ensure that, because he's never been sick like this, you know, so I don't think that he knew how to take care of himself. Not that he doesn't know how, but I wanted to make sure, I wanted to make sure right. that he was a survivor. Right. I wanted to make sure that he walked out of that room with me. I wanted to make sure that we were able to you know, continue to fulfill our dreams and ambitions and do whatever we wanted to, you know, as a couple. And then when my parents came down with it, I was like, well, it's still personal. They're my parents. I love them. And to see them hurting was heartbreaking. Right. You know? And I think, you know, there's this part of me that, like I said, the guilt part, the not being able to touch them not being able to hug them, you know, the not being able to have a face-to-face conversation without a mask. The fact that if they want a salt shaker, we've thrown a couple away because they refuse to keep it in, in the room. Mm. So we're like, keep it in the room, keep it in there, use the same salt shaker. Every time they ask for one, we've thrown them away because it's open, because they're salt, because right. I'm like, right. you know, so goes in the trash and they don't know that they're going to find out when they walk out and their <laughs> salt shakers missing but you know it, it just feels the word i'm thinking is like i feel kind of dirty doing that mm. because these are my loved ones right you know they, they are the people that i love and i feel like i'm rejecting them by not being able to touch them by not being able to hold them by not being able to have a conversation you know, face to face, but we're waiting for that day. Right, right. We're waiting for that day. That day is around the corner. That day should be tomorrow. Actually, tomorrow would be the day for both of them because my mom started to show symptoms tomorrow, two Fridays ago. And so okay. that would be the 14th of March. And they both have had no fevers for the past three days. But, um, like I tell my mom, just take it easy, rest, relax. It's like, but I feel fine. I said, that's how I felt. 
I go, my body right now is telling me I'm not well physically. You know, I get tired. I get exhausted. She doesn't understand that, but that's the way my mother is. She's stubborn like I am. But, um, you know, very life-changing, very scary. People, please understand. Stay home. If you don't need to go out, don't go out. Right. I know it's expensive. We've had to order for initially, you know, before when he was sick and I was sick and we didn't want them to go out. We were ordering stuff from the market, you know, from the local market. Uh, they were, it's expensive to get yeah. stuff dropped out of your house, you know. And, and like yesterday, my mom's like, oh, would you guys like an ice cream? I'll pay for it. And I'm like, really? You're going to send us out in the street to get ice cream? And I get it, you know, I get it. It's ice cream. But for her, it was like, it was so hot. We can't turn our AC on because then you get everything cycling in. So the rules for now is like, we're going to wait three days after they're able to walk out. We're going to sanitize the whole house again. We're going to go buy some of the, um, what is it called? The filters for Mm -hmm. the AC. Mm -hmm. We're going to go buy. Just do whatever we have to do to keep us ourselves safe. But she wanted ice cream, and I thought, Mom. So then my husband, who likes to please my mom, ordered ice cream. Mm. And someone dropped it off. But I said, you know what? We're going to give him a $10 tip. He's like, why? I said, because we are asking them to go put their lives at risk for ice cream. Hmm. No. 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 I don't think you know, people think of it days, that way. Yeah. For the first couple true. of days, for us, it was hard because we had no choice but to order food in markets that, you know, the stuff that I had ordered from Amazon started to arrive, which was juices, fruit juices, fruits, um, stuff that was edible and, you know, walnuts and then stuff that we eat at home. I said that, that way there is no need for us to go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when things changed around and we were able to go out. So we just go out and buy our stuff ourselves. But yesterday it was just too hot. And I said, mom, really you want ice cream? Which reminds me, I have to eat mine before she gets to it. But anyways, <laughs> you know, any, any additional questions, anything you want to know, Miss Crystal? I think that you covered a lot. And I think that um, for all of us who are hearing the news about COVID and having those questions um, you, that you covered so much for us. I personally, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, what would what would be my plan? How will we isolate? Where will we go? Um, for those who don't have extra rooms to go to, what do we do? So I think for me, you you brought up a lot of questions myself because my state is going to be opening up again tomorrow, and. Granted, there are a lot of restrictions with that comes with that open up. However, more people are going to be out. And I'm a mom. I'm at the store. I try to order ahead so that I don't have to go out often. I try to keep that plan. But the reality is just one trip to the store could change something. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it just makes you um, appreciate uh, life a lot, a lot more. And it also makes you think and stop and think. Because, again, is that ice cream really worth it? Sometimes I'm like, let's just go. But is it really worth it? And I hope that the people listening, I hope that those who took time to listen to 
um, this story, understand that is it really worth it? Because just to watch you talk about not being able to talk to your husband, that four-minute gap, I, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at you as a wife. I'm looking over at my husband like, man, that four minutes, mm -hmm. there's a lot of thoughts that go in that four minutes. Yeah. You know, anybody who has been through something um, traumatic and has experienced life where you don't know what's going to happen, it changes, it doesn't just change that moment, it changes your life forever. Yeah. Forever. And unfortunately, I've been in a situation where it changed my life forever. That four minutes took something from me, but also gave mm -hmm. me so much more. So I'm, I'm praying for you guys. Um, you know, I know I'm one of those friends who's been praying for you and telling you yes. we're going to get through this. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share or anything else that you would um, like to tell people? I think that it's important to wonder, you know, it's important to understand, first of all, that we do understand you, that people want to go out, that people want to resume their lives, that they don't want to sub subject themselves to living, you know, a restricted life. I get it. You know, I had been off work for two weeks by the time I got sick and I was already tired and bored. And I was looking forward to going out and, you know, we have season passes to Universal Studios. And so we were looking to do things different already. And then this hit us, you know. And now it's like, it's not only us, it's other people. There's a lot of vulnerable people out there. There's a lot of people that, you know, can get sick and really be affected by something. Going back to that ice cream, is that ice cream really necessary? Right. You know, is it really necessary? Because, you know, here in California, the thoughts have been, you know, going around that they're going to open slowly. There's going to be a lot of restrictions um, because there is those people that want to be able to live and resume their life. I just want them to understand. And my one thing is there is a lot of people out there that are carriers. They are carriers and they don't know they're carriers. There's a lot of people out there that have no symptoms and they still have it, which translates to there is a possibility that you may catch it. Right. I mean, it's really up to you if you want to risk it. Just let it die down. You know, right. it's already been how many months for me, at least I'm going into the third month already um, being home. Yes, it was shocking the first time I went out to go out and everybody's wearing because I had been, you know, over a month without going out. Right. Everybody wearing masks, people wearing gloves, and life is so different. It's shocking. But to know that people are willing to put themselves in a position where they could harm themselves or harm others. My husband had that concern. Did I do this to you? Did I bring something to you guys? And I tell him, you know what? You had to go work. You were required to go work. They were saying you could go work. You were doing what you had to do. He he didn't get it because he was out partying. He was at the right. beach. He was you know, at a restaurant. He was being an essential he, worker. You know, you know, 
he was, an, yeah, he was being an essential worker. And so I understand it, it can be frustrating. I, I understand it can be hard and, you know, you want to go and not walk without fear. But the reality is that the news that I saw initially when, um, before we were diagnosed are true. A lot of people do die from this. Mm. And it's, it can go from very mild to mild to severe to very severe. And you don't know which card you're going to get. Right. And that's the truth. You do not know which card you're going to get. Right. And, you know, young people, young, resilient, strong people have passed from this. You know? And they probably thought, oh, I got this. Mm-hmm. So, um, just be conscientious of why you want to do what you want to do and be smart when you make that decision and remember that you can bring it in to your home and if you have loved ones there you can bring it to them i tell you when we go out to the store i have sanitizing spray in my car um but i was fortunate enough to have a one gallon bottle here at home and so i split it up into little canisters and whatnot so i carry one in my car when we go to the store we're wearing gloves and we're wearing a mask as soon as we open the car door, we pull out the bottle, spray our hands, wipe it down, get in the car, and then he does the same thing. He'll spray his hands, wipe them down, get in the car, close the door, come home, take off the gloves, throw them away, sanitize our hands. Right. Because we lived the hell already. Right. We lived it already. We already know how it feels, right. and it's not pretty. Hmm. So just be smart, you know? Give yourself a little more time. I know we want to see our family. And, and that was one of the things my mom had um, for Easter. She was kind of upset that my sister didn't invite her over for Easter. That was Easter Sunday. Monday, my dad showed symptoms. Hmm. Now imagine the I, and that, effect I my sister that would yesterday. have happened. And <laughs> funny enough. When my husband got sick the Saturday before, my sister was going to do her husband's 50th birthday. It was going to be a big bash, uh-huh. you know, Mexican uh, with mariachi and tacos and everything. <laughs> it was all planned. This was Saturday. I remember saying, well, if she has it, I'm not going to go. Last minute, she canceled. Mm. Friday night, she canceled. Monday, my husband starts showing symptoms. So I said, I told her yesterday, um, imagine had you not canceled your husband's birthday party and right. you would have shown up. I go, now imagine if you had invited mom for Easter and she would have shown up. Whatever was not done for your husband's birthday could have been done, you know, during party. Easter. Yeah. So everybody gone down with this. So, you know, it's just a matter of being smart and being wise. And yes, I want to see my family. Fortunate enough, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen on Facebook, but I posted pictures of my conversations with my sisters. Mm-hmm. And this is the way we're, you know, we're communicating. We use the camera. We'll have conversations just about daily about what's happening in our lives. This is our norm for now. And we're right. okay because at least we're alive. Right. At least when this is all be over, there'll be someone we can hug. Absolutely. I get you. We're having Zoom family meetings. And uh, Facebook meetings, 
all the time. I would rather than I would rather see them on the screen now than to not see them when this is over. So I think that everything that you said was just great, and I hope that people are out there listening and taking this into consideration. That um, is the ice cream worth it, you know. Right, is the ice cream worth it? I like it. I'm back, guys, and I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Manuel Gutierrez. It was a very special interview, and there were so many things that he covered that just touched my heart. And I, I hope that when you heard it, when you listened to some of the things that he said, that it makes you really think about getting back out there. A lot of our states will be reopening really soon. And one key thing that he said that we really stuck to is, is the ice cream really worth it? You know, so many people want to rush out to go to the movies and bowling and just get that social interaction back together. But really, is it worth it if it's going to jeopardize your life, your well-being? I can't tell you what to do. I am not a doctor. I'm just the person here trying to encourage you to continue to grow, to continue to elevate and excel in your life. And I want you to do it. And the only way to do it is to be alive, to do it. So my advice is take things slow, be safe in what, what you're doing and plan ahead. No one can prepare themselves really for the effects of this disease and this virus and what you will go through mentally, emotionally, and physically. If you have learned anything from Manuel, it is to stay safe. It is not worth it. That ice cream is not worth it. To all of our essential workers out there keeping us safe, doing all the jobs to make sure that we continue to have the things that we need, thank you. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for your dedication. Thank you for your support. We pray for you each and every day that you continue to stay safe out there. Have a blessed day. You already know you have the power to create change. It was good. <laughs>